All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Can you see it? Did you notice? Checked, but the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice. It arms Get Demko involved. I wanted them in and downtown. Wow. We should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. Pearl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! They slayed the dragon! Don't waste all the good stuff on the off air. Let's go. Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. You can use promo code Hawk Season capital H, capital S, all one word, at ZephyrEpic.com, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic, 
zephyrepic.com. Check them out on all platforms. Weekly case breaks. Lots of good stuff at zephyrepic.com. Go check it out. My name is David Quadrelli. I am joined, as always, by the man who built the place, Chris Faber. Chris, sunny, hot afternoon today. We've had a day. We have had a day. We have done a lot of stuff today. Yes. We did a Patreon in the yes. morning. Uh, 5 and $10 tier gets you all the bonus content, including that episode we did this morning. Man, we were complaining about our work too. We were like, today's a long work day. Well, you were. You were, you were a mess I was, right now. I am. I'm so tired. We've but been up. We've been running around coffee, since 9 a.m. The coffee, combined with talking to Don Taylor, who, by the way, is on this episode. I'm sure that's probably why you clicked on it. That's why you're here. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. Uh, I, I just drink a ton of coffee. Like I almost finished that iced coffee now. So yeah, I, I got some energy. I'm buzzing now. You're a different man at this point than you were about an hour ago. You were looking like you were passing out in the car from working for six hours. It was way and too hot. Honestly, not even like a lot of work. We, no, we like know, ate food and drank beer. That yes. was the work we did today. We sent out the packages. That was some work and that took a while. We sent out, we sent a package to Australia. We sent a package to the United States. Yeah. Alberta. We had to walk it ourselves there. Like we had to, we had to get to Australia. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was good. And then from there, we got to go and uh, I guess we can announce our new sponsor as well. We can go we ahead. We can announce our new sponsor. So we went to Parallel 49. Uh, Parallel 49, whatever you want to call it. We went down there to uh, check out their new patio with 120 people. You can be seated there now. It is it is gorgeous. Oh, the so food nice. was amazing. That was Okay, that's why I'm tired. I ate too yeah, much food and we were did. sitting in the heat. Okay, so here's what I ate. I ate a uh, beef burger, which was really good, by the way. Get the beef burger. The waffle fries were delicious. And then I ate a poutine on top of all that. You did. I didn't have any chicken wings, uh, but then I had a nice pink lemonade. Well, yeah, nice little pink lemonade. It was it was really good. Yes, and that's where our new sponsorship came from. It's from, you know, Parallel makes great beer. We all know that. We, I mean, I had a good little sampler pack here to my, like today, uh, but at the same time, they wanted to mix things up a little bit, and they want to give you something that you can, you know, bring a twelve case out when you're floating down the river. You know, go lay on the beach. Can you drink on beaches here? I don't know. Yeah, you can. So you, this is a twelve case you can bring down to the beach. <laughs> This is the type of thing where you don't feel as bad drinking 12 of them. Yeah. Like you drink 12 IPAs. They're crushable. They go down easy. They are. So we want to talk about Squish right off the bat, man. Squish. And you know me. I've talked about this for a long time. I'm, a, I'm obsessed with lemonade. And they got lemonades. They got multiple flavors. Bunch of different lemonade flavors that are super exciting. So folks, Squish, we want to give them a shout out. We'll be talking about them later. They'll be added into the ads as well. But just want to give a shout out to them because we had an awesome lunch. And that place, so like, good. even if we weren't sponsored by Parallel 49, we would have to talk about that patio because it was incredible. It was so good. It was gorgeous. It yeah. Was, it was a hot day. We've had a good day. We talked to Don Taylor. That's going to be later on in the episode here. But right off the bat, let's let's dive into some Canucks talk a little bit. Absolutely. Because there's definitely some things we need to talk about. I just, we haven't talked about it a lot over the past couple of weeks. There's been a lot of rumors about it. And something that I think you and I do is we don't talk a lot about rumors. You know, when, when there are rumors going around... We probably know it's not going to mean anything a lot of the time, mm-hmm. but these rumors, they're obviously, to me, it feels like a done deal. It's just kind of like the finalizing of it, and that's the Sedins joining the organization. We haven't talked about this a lot. I'm curious to get your opinions, and I'll have mine as well, but like, where do you think we're going with the next step of something being announced or some th- way that we see the Sedins used in this organization? Well, I was listening to Sat's theory. Satyar Shah of Sportsnet 650. His theory was that, and you know, this isn't something Sat reported. He was, you know, I want to make it clear Sat said I'm not reporting anything, but I was listening to that theory and it made a lot of sense. And that's basically that ownership wanted to bring in the Sedins kind of to replace Jim and John, but 
they basically said, look, we're not ready for that. And they want to come in through a lower management group. And we don't know what their role is going to be yet. But man, with Abbotsford being right here, like, look, that's not a far drive for the Sedins to get to. Right. Like if they want to be on the management side and, you know, their kids are a little older now and they, got, they you know, they spend some time, they coach their kids. Um, now they're going to be trying to, you know, learn the, the business side. Honestly, like what better way to do that than basically being given almost free reign with Abbotsford or, you know, working under Ryan Johnson, who does a great job with Utica and with the Comets. And, you know, he, he's going to be there in Abbotsford as well. You know, why not learn? right in your own backyard here, right? Like, I, I think there's a role there. And, like, that's if they want to get to the management side, right? But if they want to be on the side of player development, then it would make more sense for them to stay with the Canucks, right? Like, I'm not wrong about that. No, and I think that's that's the interesting thing for me, just from hearing people talk about this, from seeing the reports that have come out. I just, I wonder if the Sedins want to be on ice, Exactly. I don't I get the read that they don't. I think they I think they want to be part of a management group. I think they want to be part of player development, but I don't think they want to be on the ice helping with the power play or down in Utica giving skills development to the to the next crop of prospects that are coming through. I think what they want ultimately, if this is something that they want to do and stay in hockey, is to be on the management side. And I know that we've heard a lot of things, and actually we talked about in the conversation a little bit later with Donnie about how Steve Eiserman worked his way up from the bottom to the top. And I, I bet that Steve Eiserman was around the ice when he was first starting. I just get the feeling that that's not what the Sedins want to do. And do I think that they could help? Yes. Do I think that they could do a good job on the power play? Yes, they could were you, great at that. Could you imagine if Utica, they have to get a call up, Utica, they have to get a call up from Abbotsford and Tyler Gravak comes up and he's with uh, Justin Bailey and they're like, okay, go on the first power play unit and they're just, they're doing sedinery on the first power play unit, Tyler Gravak and Justin Bailey. Like <laughs> if they just taught them how to do all the slap passes and everything. Yeah, they just teach them their, their twin <laughs> tricks. But no, like that's the thing where I see them I mean, it's it's really interesting. And a lot of people have talked about them being involved in the AHL team. I just think it's hard for them to be involved with the AHL team, but not be around the ice or even on the ice helping. Because yeah. look at the staff that they have. You think Trent Call's not going to want to somehow get Daniel or Henrik on the ice to help his guys? Yeah, you know you what? You think That's the a power really play coach point. there isn't going to say like, oh man, like you guys are up in the stands watching this. Like, why not come on the ice a little bit and teach us? If the Sedins don't want that, and I don't know that for sure. I don't think anybody knows that for sure. But yeah. I just get a feeling that they don't want to be back on the ice just because of like, I think that they're past that point. I think that they're smart guys. They're past that point and they're looking at the next step. And that's what everyone always talks about with the Sedins is like, they are the type of guys that can be in management for a long time. They're the type of guys that you would think would be general managers. I mean, co-general managers would be really cool. They'll probably be, you know, the first brother pair to ever do that. Yeah. I think they'll get to that point eventually, but I don't think that first step involves them being on the ice. I really think the first step is going to be something with the Vancouver Canucks. I don't, I don't personally see them wanting to go when they have this much pull in this city and this much pull with the organization and ownership. I don't think they're going to Utica to run the AHL team. Yeah, I think you're. I think they're going. Sorry, yeah, uh, that's going to take a long. That is going to take a long, a long time for me. But I don't think they're going to be in Abbotsford for that. I think they might talk with prospects. I think Mm -hmm. they might give advice to guys like Jet Wu or Carson Folk or these type of guys who have some potential on the AHL. But I just don't see them being like an everyday worker with the AHL team. I don't see them every day in Abbotsford. I don't see them being the general manager of Abbotsford. 
I see them being with the NHL team, the Vancouver yeah, Canucks. You're probably and right. I think that they're going to be there to help make decisions. And this is we're gonna get to, we'll get to the conversation with Donnie pretty quick here. But that was something that we brought up was like these feel like the kind of guys who can help you with bringing in the right players, with how you surround your stars. These guys know that. These guys saw that happen in 2011. These guys saw how a team was brought together in the early 2000s in the West Coast Express era on what you need to do to surround your stars to have success. That's the part that I like. I like the part of them being in management and working on which players we're going to see in Vancouver Canucks jerseys. I don't think that they're the type that, like I said, if they're down in Utica, you know, in Abbotsford, sorry, you're laughing at me. If they're in Abbotsford, like, would you, it, it, the, it's just so tempting for them to just be like, well, you know, why not just make him the coach? He probably knows more than Trent Call. Like, he's probably a bit like the Sedins. I'd rather have them coaching than Trent Call, and I like Trent Call. I think he's a good coach. I think that it just it's so tempting to just get them on the ice with these guys at some point, but I don't think they want to do that. And that's why I think they're just going to be with the NHL team, even yeah. though there's a lot of rumors about them being running Abbotsford or being in Abbotsford all the time. I don't, I don't think they want to work at AHL level, and I don't think they have to. I think that there's a job for them in the Vancouver Canucks, and I think that's what they're figuring out right now. Honest question before I cut to Donnie. Anybody that played on the Canucks' fourth line this season, do you think Henrik and Daniel put up a better fight? Like, right now. I, and we know they're still in shape. We know they're still doing the gross grind in, like, 10 minutes or whatever their record is. Do, honest question. Them on the fourth line. Do you do, Does that make the Canucks a better team this year if D- uh-huh. Daniel and Henrik are there? Because, right. man, if they're joining the organization, man, get them to suit up for a game. Just, you know. Would, that- I, would I rather see a bottom six line with Daniel and Hendrick than I would with Travis Boyd and Mark Michaelis? Yes. Yeah. Okay. But they're, they'd be pretty slow. They like, would they be pretty be. slow. They, they were, they were slow. slow. But so but so is Jay Beagle. Jay Beagle is very slow as well. There you go. And all I'm saying is these games, you know, we know Canucks staff, they they play on the ice together at Rogers Arena sometimes. Uh, sometimes, the, usually it's the younger ones. But man, imagine Daniel and Henrik hopping on. We're just we're at the arena doing work or whatever. And we just see Daniel and Henrik hop back on the on the ice. Imagine they just tear is, it up. It's like oh, we've been trying to figure out what role to put them in, and then like two weeks from now, it's like you know what? They're going to play on our third line. <laughs> the scenes are going to play on the third line for us. That's who, it. Took oh. us this long to figure it out. They're going to play on the third line. We're turning this around in a hurry. We're yeah. bringing them back. They're just doing a quick retool on the fly. Well. <laughs> You know that we're having fun here. This isn't going to happen. I think they're going to. I think they're going to be with the Canucks. I yes. don't think. You know, maybe they get involved with the AHL team, but I don't think they have to do that. Like, I really think that they're going to be part of the NHL team, bringing in players, helping make decisions, and I think that's the right way to do it. So I, I, I'm interested to see. I think you know we're all just we're all just thinking what might happen at this point. Every reporter, every every podcast, they're all just thinking, right? Nobody knows for sure at this point. Um, so we're just going to have to wait on it. But I thought that was one rumor that we we had to talk about a little bit. Sedin's for the third line. We talked about it a bit with Donnie T. Uh, we did not talk about them playing on the third line, although we probably should have. Uh, that was a good idea that just came to my mind. And but uh, before we throw to Donnie, I know you, you're better at talking about these things than I am. But the recent news that came out of Kamloops. Oh, awful. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, okay. So we wanted to direct everybody to our friend Cody Sievertson of the Crease Cast. Uh, his mom is of Indigenous ancestry. Gosh, I hope Cody doesn't mind me saying all this, but he put it out there on the podcast. Very, very good um, dialogue from so, him. And so he hosted it. Yeah. He hosted yeah. by himself this week on the Crease Cast. The Crease Cast, um, yes. 
please go that direction. It's he talks for about forty to fifty minutes about it. Um, it starts at forty nine minutes in, but like I don't even know where where to start with this because this is something that I felt bad that I like I didn't know this. Like I didn't know about this. Yeah. I feel like I wasn't taught this. You mentioned you had a really good social studies teacher. Yeah, I learned social studies in French in high school. I don't I don't even know what I, I don't know if World War One or World War Two was first. Like I was so bad at social studies, so Take I didn't really pick up a lot. <laughs> Probably one. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, but like I, you know, I just, I was never taught all this and I yeah. feel bad because like I am a first nations person myself. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of people don't know this, but like I am, I am one eighth Métis, right? So, you know, it's part of my blood. I grew up with it and, you know, I grew up going to first nations school or like church. church That's what yeah. we did every Sunday. We went to a first nations church. We, we're part of the community. I remember attending a lot of nights. I remember eating Bannock, like blueberry Bannock. Oh, delicious. But, um, I mean, it's, it's a serious, it's a serious thing that, that Canada seems to not talk about a lot is how, yeah. And, and, I, and I didn't yeah. know a lot of this. I really, I, know. I can just say like, I really didn't know a lot of this well, and I learned a ton from listening to Cody talk about it. I reached out to some reporters just to learn information. And I reached out to some listeners of this show that I know that, that had, had information for me or were out there to inform me about things and teach me things. And I appreciate everyone that did that because I'm in such an early point of learning about the history that yeah. I, I feel stupid. Like I feel like an idiot that I didn't know a lot about this. Well, it's just the thing is, it's not really your fault. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I had a good social studies teacher and mm-hmm. I've said that before. Um, and that helped a lot, but you also have to go do it yourself. Right. right. And there's just not a ton of, um, like, I, I guess not a ton of, like, the resources are out there. I don't want to say the wrong thing here, but there's just not a ton of, like, you know, you know you're know you just hanging out. Why are you going to go look at look at this stuff right, right now? You know what I mean? But that's now. That's I've done over the past Exactly, and that's what I'm saying is because now of that because that of this brought. has happened and everybody's talking about it and there's awareness, like, you know, people are going to drive by and I, I saw some idiots online being like, oh, why is Rogers Arena orange? Like, that does nothing. And yeah, it's a start. It's a start. It's not the end. But man, like that, that's what gets people starting to say like, oh, hey, maybe I should research this more. Even Carey Price, uh, when he was asked the question about, about the tragedy and he just, you know, obviously wasn't too thrilled to get that question, rightfully so. His first question of the press conference. Yeah. Anyway, the we're, we're skipping over how out of, like how you shouldn't ask that question. We'll get into reporting uh, etiquette The only later, thing but, I want to add, and before I'll let you close this out, but just... Uh, very appreciative of Cody to talk about it. He's yeah. someone who's a lot more informed than me. He's someone whose family member, and I believe he talks about this in the podcast. I don't think he's bad yeah. that I'm saying, but his mom was part of the 60 scoop, 60 scoop yeah. as he talks about in the podcast. I highly recommend if you want to learn anything, if you're in a similar boat to me where you just didn't know and you feel like you don't have any information on this. And that's, that's where I feel that I am from how I was taught from what I learned in school and from my, my point where I just never went out and looked to learn for it. Yeah. I'm at the point now where I think that, you know, Cody talked about it, that this is a, a step, right? He yeah. didn't say it was a great first step. He didn't say this is the perfect first step. He just said, this is a step, right? This yep. is a first step for a lot of people because a lot of people have been fighting this for a long time. But for me, this was the first step. The first step was trying to learn. So if people are into, you know, if people want to learn more, highly recommend Cody's episode of the crease cast where he does a solo episode begins talking about this at 49 minutes. He's got some horrible takes about the AHL team in the first 49 minutes of the podcast. You can skip right through that. 
Um, and I and I really missed Lachlan on the episode. We're just poking fun here, but no, Cody. Cody's yeah, a good guy. Uh, check that out. The Crease Cast episode. Highly recommend this week's episode where Cody goes solo. Um, I'll let you throw to our interview now. Yeah, we wanted to touch on that. Thought it was important, but uh, yeah, we're gonna throw now to Don Taylor. Very excited to get him on. We were we're both extremely excited, and this yeah. was a, this is a fun conversation. Well, let me let me hop in here just because like this this was one of the two. It was Jason Botchford and Don Taylor. When I started the show, Jason Botchford and Don Taylor were the two that I wanted to hear. I started listening to Sports Talk Radio with BMAC, Donnie, and the Moach. And what they used to do in that midday slot, we're having so much fun. You know, Donnie's going to take us back on some stories. He's going to talk about the current team. But just just an incredible conversation. I believe it's like a 37-minute interview. Uh, you know, like I said, one of the dream guests for this show. Uh, and to be able to get Botch on here and now Don Taylor, it's... A pretty pretty surreal moment for me, and I know it was a surreal moment for you because what people aren't going to hear is you guys going off for the first before we're doing it. We're doing an audio test before we start talking with Donnie, and you guys are just talking about North Burnaby this, North Burnaby that. Have you been seeing this? This is the road I grew up on. Oh, I used to see this road. Walked up and down hill both ways to get to school, and I'm sitting there, and then I try and like contribute one thing to Burnaby, and I get shut down immediately by Donnie. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. North Burnaby, buddy. That was like, so funny. I think that's actually in the interview. So yeah. let's, uh, without further ado, let's throw it out here. Quads has tried a couple times, but I've cut him off, as I usually do. But let's get to our conversation now with Don Taylor of Donnie and Dolly. All right, and joining us now, it's been a long time I've been trying to get this guest, and it's finally happening. Very excited about it. One of the bucket list guests for sure, before this podcast ends up dying. Don Taylor from Donnie and Dolly. Don, how you doing today? Love the confidence. Very well, Chris. Hope you guys are fine as well. Absolutely. We just uh, we got a fan for this recording in the room. This is the first time we're recording with a fan, so I hope this doesn't screw up the audio because it's a big interview for us, Don. We've been uh, we've been very excited ever since you said you'd come on the show here. So I, I kind of want to just get started with the new show and what you got going on yeah. with uh, with Dolly and and like from from first step. Like, how did the idea of you guys going on to television just come from? I mean, it seems like an easy one for you. But for Rick, I don't know if I can say the same. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, well, I think a, a, a lot of it was out of desperation, um, just because <laughs> both of us had lost our jobs. So, as, as infamously with the Bell situation, and um, uh, so it, we got approached by Chet. And uh, well, let me let me backtrack a bit. We we lost our jobs February 9th. On that day, I found out I had COVID. Um, so did Ryan Henderson, who's our producer now at Dolly and Dolly. Mm-hmm. So you, you know, it took a while, but Chet called us the next day to see if we were interested in doing this thing. They, they have this uh, idea for a show, and uh, so we had to recover from COVID. This was not the greatest of times for us, and uh, we recovered from COVID. And uh, I had a few other offers, which were great and, and flattering, and all of that. But this just really spoke to me in that um, I love the thought that Czech is an independent station, uh, employee-owned. It, it, uh, you know, we're in a union. Uh, it really reminded me of how I started in the business. And it reminded me a lot of, and I don't know how old you guys are, but uh, it reminded me a lot of CKBU back in the day. The local station that cared about the community, mm-hmm. cared about Vancouver, cared about BC and Seattle. And uh, the more I looked into it and how well run it was, and it has a great story of survival check. And I, I, I've been in the corporate world for 20 years with Bell and Rogers. It, it treated me well. But I just thought, you know, as my career winds down, I just thought it would be a, be a real um, interesting, different way of 
I'm wrapping things up. And so uh, we agreed to do it. And so far, so good. Now, Donnie, I was actually going to ask you more about when you found out about 1040, but I don't really want to, I don't want to kind of rehash all that. So I guess my, my question that I want to ask is if, you know, obviously the industry's changed since you've started in it, but what do you tell young people coming into this industry that want to, want to be the next Don Taylor or they want to be on TV? They want to do all these, all this other stuff in this industry. What do you tell them, especially after, you know, you, you face a layoff in this calendar year? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, Because the the industry has changed so much. When I started, it was, you know, go get your diploma, your degree, whatever the case may be. Go up north or somewhere in small town Canada and go to a small market, go to a medium market, and you'll make your way to a big market. And there were way more jobs in standard media, in in old school media. Uh, Things have changed so much. Jobs are shrinking. Uh, even people with a whole lot of talent lose their jobs. Um, it's, it's, it's really difficult, but there are still people on the air. There are there are people doing those jobs. So you I, I, you have to have confidence in yourself, and somebody's going to fill those roles. Mm. And it, it's a little bit different. Where you know in, in the past you could just say those things, go up or pay your dues and all that. Now it's a little bit different. Where you can do what you guys are doing, come up with a podcast. Uh, try to be creative, do different things, and and maybe you make your way uh, to a, a sports center or a TSN that way. It's, it's a little bit different, but um, it, it's difficult because people do lose their jobs more than they did in the past, and maybe there's not those small-town jobs like there, there used to be, but somebody is filling those jobs. So uh, you just have to believe in yourself, but maybe more so than ever, and find other avenues than you would have, say, 10, 20 years ago, like, like podcasts, like Twitter, like expressing yourself on social media. Uh, those things have worked for a lot of people, and it's just different now. But somebody does, somebody is filling those jobs in the big networks, and who's to say it couldn't be uh, you? No, absolutely. And I mean, you know, personally getting into sports radio myself, one of the, the my favorite memories was, you know, I was working at a mill and during the day mm-hmm. listening to yourself, BMAC and Moj and, you know, some of the fun that you guys had during that time was like, I didn't know that that's what sports talk radio was really about. I was a guy who listened to, you know, the hits or country stations here yeah. and there, but to hear how <laughs> yeah. much fun you guys were able to have, like how cool is it now to have, I guess, like a new medium where you're not just doing the sports updates like you did for Sportsnet. Now that you got right. Dolly with you, you got Ryan with you as well. Like, how much fun is that just to be able to to bring that much fun to the television now? Well, it, it is fun. And, and, you know, when you talk about that fun that we had in the previous uh, shows um, and what we're doing now, I think it takes a long time to learn that. And it's, it's definitely the way to go. We had a consultant that – I'm going off at a bit of a tangent here, but <laughs> we had a consultant come into uh, – uh, our station at 1040 years ago from the States. His name was Rick Scott. And, um, you know, uh, when I first got into sports talk radio, I thought it was all going to be about, well, let's break down uh, the Denver Broncos backup offensive linemen and uh, the Canucks breakout, you know, things like that. And those things are valuable. There's no, no question about it. But this consultant we had by the name of Rick Scott, told us, and this was a guy that had worked at all sorts of big stations in the States. He felt, and, and I really had my eyes open, and I still feel this way today, that the best sports talk radio is uh, equivalent to what you have in a locker room. And I know that sounds really macho, maybe chauvinistic and old school, 
But when you're in a locker room, like, <laughs> what are you talking about usually? You're talking <laughs> about what you did on a Friday night. You're talking about a movie you saw. You're talking about a date you went on, something like that. And it's, it's effing hilarious. Yeah. And, it, and, and I, I just love stuff like that. And then, you know, maybe just before the game, you talk about, you know, hey, watch number seven and let's get in on the four check. So, <laughs> you know, like if it's beer league hockey, uh, I've, I, so I've always um, felt that was the way to go. Not everybody agrees with that, but anybody I've lined up with in, in recent history, Moj or Rick or, uh, or Barry, they all kind of agree on that. Uh, to be able to do that and, and realize that the best, to me anyway, the best sports talk radio is when you're having a whole lot of fun. That just it just speaks to me, and uh, I, I really enjoy it. I don't think it's necessarily easy to do, but I definitely think it's the way to go. Okay, I said I wasn't going to rehash anything from 1040, but I did realize after I said that, that we actually, we had T-Mart on the show maybe two weeks after everything went down. We had Rick on the show, and we asked both of them for their favorite moment from the 1040 countdown. And, you know, obviously the popular answer is one that includes yourself, but I want to pose the same question to you. Your favorite moment from the top 40 moments at 1040. Oh, um... (laughs) Well, obviously the poker fight is one that's hard to beat. And there were so many layers to that. And, and Dave Pratt and I get along. We got along before that. We have negative moments on the air. That was one of them. It was funny. And, and the, it, but it was even funnier behind the scenes because I was doing that job part-time. I was working at Sportsnet at night. I had walked in two minutes before Dave started his rant. I poker. Like I just sat down. And five minutes later, I'm out the door. I'm suspended. Like I, it's like it was it's just because I was being a smart ass, which I tend to be. And, and I disagreed with Dave. He disagreed with me, and he left the studio. And then our boss, Rob Gray, at the time said, "Hey, listen, I gotta let you let you go for a couple of days." It was just like it was a whirlwind. It happened within the space of five minutes. So that was weird. One of my other favorite moments there is one that happened quite recently. And uh, it made the list, and that was when <laughs> most players that he went drinking with David Pasternak at the 2013 Stanley Cup final because he was a Bruins black ace at the time. And I pointed out uh, that Pasternak hadn't been drafted until 2014. <laughs> so, but Moj was sure he'd been drinking with this guy named Dave who uh, was with the Bruins. <laughs> and, and, and he was sure it was Pasternak, but I mean, and, you know, Chris, Dave, you guys, we're all Canuck fans. We all know that Pasternak was part of the Vertan and McCann draft. Yeah. The Canucks, did, you know, didn't grab him. But Moj had forgotten, but he, he claimed, and he was adamant about it and said he was going to check in on it, <laughs> that he was hanging out with David Pasternak at the 2013 Stanley Cup final between the Bruins and Blackhawks. And, and uh, he never did admit he was wrong. That was the other <laughs> beautiful part, part about it. You know, he's still to this day, I think, adamant that Pasternak was drinking with him at some bar in Boston. So that was one of my favorite moments, for sure. <laughs> I, I, I got to ask about, like, like moments like that. And like I said, like, when I first really made sports radio, like, part of my daily routine, it was yourself, BMAC, and Moj. Like, yeah. was, like, can you remember sometimes where you guys just, like, had to cut to break because the laughs were just, like, uncontrollable? Because oh, yeah. it, it well, felt like that happened yeah. every segment. Yeah, especially with BMAC. I, I don't know what it is, like, and nothing against anybody else, but him and I go way back, and we just laugh at the same stupid things, yeah. you know, and uh, there was a lot of times there where um, 
<laughs> him and I just, you know, we clicked on some level of humor that maybe only we found funny. Uh, Mac and I used to do this thing. I, I don't know why they agreed to it, but Hastings Racecourt used to have <laughs> this show called, uh, not a show, but a, a commercial called Pick the Ponies. So it was Mac and I, you know, making our picks for those that night's races. And we know F all about horse racing, right? But they'd give us this script and we'd talk about things like the saddle the jockey was using and you know, stuff like that and what, what type of oats, you know, the certain <laughs> horse was was using. And, and it was supposed to be like 30 seconds. They all ended up about five minutes because we were laughing so hard. So I really, I really, really love moments like that. And we certainly get a lot of them right now with the, with Rick, who's just a uh, just just a beauty, but I, I love stuff like that when you know you know the uncontrollable laughter where you hope that the audience is is doing the same thing. Uh, oh, trust me, they are. Uh, it'd be a lot funnier yeah. if they weren't actually. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I wanted to ask a little bit because some of the the final times I believe that you were doing a lot of television with Sportsnet was during that 2011 run, right? Right, and mm-hmm. I. I want to get like, what was that emotion like to be knowing that just like millions and millions of people are tuning in for your guys' pregame show that you guys were doing, postgame shows that you guys were doing? Like, how much fun was that just to be like on that type of stage really here in Canada? Hey, if it was millions and millions, I'd still be there. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe close to that. But, um, uh, oh, it was just tremendous. And, you know, the one thing when you're working with the networks, if they want to do something, if you, if, if, if Rogers or Bell, they really want to do something and they're behind it, it gets done. Mm. They set up, a, I don't know if you guys remember, but we had an outdoor studio. Yeah. They yes. set up in the parking lot across uh, Rogers Arena and it was tremendous. Like, we just couldn't believe the amount of money they were spending on a show that involved us and John Garrett and uh, uh, Gary and our whole crew would go and, uh, uh, do the show before and after, and it was just a tre- tremendous buzz, and you know, to be in the arena and and, and watch that, and uh, it was just the crowds that gathered out, uh, you know, in, outside the arena to watch our show or take part in the show. It was, it was just really, really special. It was, uh, it was quite the blur. I, I, I think that I would have to say though that I would probably have enjoyed 94 a little bit more mm-hmm. only because that was when I was less of a host and more of a reporter. Right. So I got to go into dressing rooms and uh, do reports and stuff like that. You felt a little closer to the action versus being a host. Uh, it's great being a big shot host, but to, to, to be in the dressing room after they lose, after they win, getting to know the players a little bit. I've always felt you don't want to know them too much. But uh, it, that that was really really special. But 2011 and how Sportsnet uh, went all out for us was was great to be part of that vibe until <laughs> until what happened after <laughs> Game Seven. Uh, it was uh, I don't mean to laugh at it, but it was just so ridiculous. Oh, uh, it was pretty special. Well, yeah, I could just imagine you guys trying to do a post game outside after <laughs> Game Seven. There, that would have been uh, quite well, yeah, television. Both, there. Yeah, what's the story rising. there? Yeah, well, you know what's funny about that is that I. Uh, uh, I was facing away from downtown. Like I, I would have been looking east, mm-hmm. like like at the cameras. But the camera crew and everybody else was looking towards downtown, <laughs> where all the smoke was billowing and the noise was being made. Jeez. So I could, their eyes were like saucers, yeah. and I'm like, you know, like I I want to look around and take a look at it, but I'm not supposed to. <laughs> 
but it was a really eerie, weird situation, as you guys, uh, you guys well know. Yeah. Wow. That's oh okay. That is that is bizarre. Okay. So question we've asked a lot of different people that have come on this show in media, and you know Murph's uh, happened on ten forty. It was when he uh, dropped the f bomb. But Don, what's your stepped in it moment? Okay, well, did Murph say the F-bomb, or did he say on your show? Like, I don't know what the rules and regulations are here, but... Um, you can. Okay. You are allowed to it, swear it, on our show. If it, anybody's it, listening and so, has kids, get them away, okay. from, this, well, away it's, from this. It's, it's not even... It's more the environment that we're living in these days. It's it's not exactly PC. I see. But, uh, uh, so, um, and people know about this. There was one moment when, uh, uh, in order to not move my head back and forth, uh, while I'm reading a teleprompter, I took a speed reading course, like a fly by night thing where you read corner to corner and you just kind of absorb every word and out it comes. So uh, one day on sports page, on the same page uh, were the words, uh, they were playing Dallas or Calgary, it must have been Dallas, uh, Neuendijk and Mighty Ducks. And it came out, and I can't remember who they were playing, let's say it was the Canucks. But it came out the Canucks destroyed the Mighty Dykes, oh, uh, yeah, four I three that or whatever. One. So, and um, it was, I believe, a Friday night. Okay, so it's not that funny. I mean, it's it's a slip of the tongue. Some people might find it funny. Some people might not. But it was a Friday night. There was a camera crew there. Now the camera crew before every show on a Friday at CKVU, I, you know, these guys they're long since retired, so they won't mind. But they used to do the BC thing just before the show, if you know what I mean. Fair enough. Um, I call it yes, the Burnaby okay. thing. <laughs> the, the, the Burnaby, yeah, you, you and I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and so it was kind of funny what I said, but these guys thought it was the funniest thing in the world. They can't stop laughing. You know why? So as a result, I told you before with Barry, I, I, I'm a person who can't stop giggling uh, when the opportunity presents itself. I just lost it the rest of the show. <laughs> and uh, I just could not stop laughing. Oh and it was, uh, yeah, and thank God there wasn't a serious story or a death in the world of sports that day. I just, I just, uh, I couldn't, I, I just lost it completely. And, and even when we came back after break, it was, it was, it was pretty sad. So, uh, but uh, it made its way to YouTube. Larry and Willie made a big deal about it. Yeah. yeah. But again, it was a lot of fun. And, you know what? I don't think it was a bad thing for my career because I, I handled it so poorly, like no other broadcast could, <laughs> broadcaster could, that I think it got a lot of attention because of it. Yeah. Hey, attention's yeah. always good, I guess. Most of the Yeah, time. it's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. Ask <laughs> uh, Kim Kardashian. Yeah, yeah, there's a good example there. I, I want to kind of move forward a little bit here to what we've seen over the past few years with this Canucks team here. And what they're having with this young core, I mean, it's obvious. And we just saw the news right now. Canucks will be picking ninth in the draft coming yep. up. So they're not winning. Shocking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, I was actually thinking 10. So this is good news for us here. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, yeah. but you yeah. see the core that they have here, Donia, And you've seen this team for, for your whole life. You've watched this team forever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. where does this core stack up in skill and just being at, you know, the top tier of the league for a young core compared to some of these other Canucks teams that went on these deep runs into the playoffs. Like, how confident are you in guys like Quinn Hughes, Brock Besser, Elias Patterson, and, and soon Vasily yeah. Podkolz in these guys? Yeah, you can, and add, add Demko to the mix. It seems yeah. like, doesn't it, guys? It seems like they've got all bases covered. Mm-hmm. It seems like it. 
uh, you know, they've got they've got a great center, a winger who can score. Uh, th- th- they've got you know Horvat, a, a, just a solid all around center. Uh, they've got a great number one defenseman in Quinn Hughes, and a really, really good goaltender in, in, in Thatcher Demko. At least, it, at least it seems that way. Uh, but it's just the surrounding pieces that just seem to be the problem right now, and and those long, cumbersome contracts, and just um, you know people in charge who have hit some big home runs and have struck out a whole lot too. Uh, there's just not a whole lot in between that makes makes you confident for the next few years. Maybe somewhere down the road, but I just you know the the, the next few years. I, I'm uh, right now. I'm wondering if this was the reality. This season was the reality, or what we saw in the bubble is the reality. Now there's some pretty important people from the bubble that aren't there anymore. Yep. I, I tend to think that that is more the reality than uh, than what, what what we saw. Probably what we saw this season is more the reality than than, than the bubble. And that's, uh, unfortunately, but it's just, it's just a really strange situation. And that's the thing that makes me wonder because I feel like the harder thing to do is to get the core, right? Like to build yeah, that core, yeah. get the guys. It feels like the easier part is surrounding that. And I, I'm wondering, like, are you confident in this management group being able to surround it? Cause that's the stage we're at now. They have the core, they have these young guys, but can they surround them with the right pieces? And I think that's a lot of the question that Canucks fans have about this management group is, are they capable of doing it? Because you have at the helm and Jim Benning, you know, a guy with a yep. scouting background. He's not a builder yeah. background. I think that's right. the biggest yeah. thing that they're missing. And I'm curious, like, well, do you but, think yeah. that guys like Henrik and Daniel coming into the organization, maybe that's something that they might have a strength in? Like, do you really like that move of bringing the Sedins in here, Donnie? Well, I, I, I think it, it seems to be more of a PR move than anything else mm. to sort of appease everybody. But this market is too smart uh, for that. Having said that, do you bet against those guys? Yeah, never. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, uh, I, I just—they're uh, just so smart, and so, and, and they have, there's a there's a street smartness about them that I don't mm. think people give them enough credit for. Um, if they're here's the big if: if they're allowed to do their jobs, and maybe the same could be said of Jim Benning, even at this later point, if they're allowed to do their job, if there's not any meddling from up top. Yeah, maybe maybe it can happen, but you know, hands off, Francesco. Let them try to do their jobs. Uh, otherwise, they'll leave. The Sudines will, they'll leave like Trevor Linda did, and and and, and be gone. They're, they're, again, they're smart. They'll just go, hey, we're, we don't we don't need this, but we'd like to help the organization. Um, yeah, I, I, I you know I, I really believe in them. It's just that how long will that take? I mean, you, you look at Steve Eisenman. I think he's mm-hmm. making all the right moves in Detroit, but people forget that not only did he learn as the GM of the Tampa Bay Lightning, and he's done a great or did a great job there, but he was also working under Ken Holland for quite a few years. Great so it, it took a long, him, yeah. yeah, great. It took, it took him a long time to get where he is uh, today. So um, I, I, I just don't know what to think, but that, that point about the core is just bang on. They've got this core that seems so solid and, and so promising. It's just everything else, else around it. And, you know what? What's it going to mean? Pedersen and Hughes making more money, and you know what does that mean for the the parts around it? Who are you going to buy out? There's so many questions to be to be answered. Yeah, and I think you know it. It was hard for the fans to have their voices heard this off season. What what mm-hmm. kind of like initial reaction do you think we're going to have from fans? Let's say we go into next season and they and they don't go on eat like their records below 500, 15 games mm-hmm. in. 
Like how how yeah. quick do you think it's going to take for the fan base to turn? Because there was times this year where if they had fans in the arena, I mean, I can't yeah. imagine some of the yeah, chance we would have. It would have been a year. bloodbath. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, guys, again, I go way back, and I, I remember the mid '80s before Pat Quinn uh, got to Vancouver, got to the Coliseum, and that place was was empty. Um, you know, it was you know Gretzky would come into town or Mario, and you'd have eight or nine thousand people in, in in the arena. Wow, it was really really sad, and uh, so that was bad. Quinn comes, uh, Pat comes in, and and things change, you know, and, and, and things change, and that th- they get better. So. And then you look at that Messier era as well, when, you know, Brian Burke made his quarter comment and, and all that, and things changed pretty quickly. Um, uh, you know, what th- th- things changed, uh, you know, when, when Burke eventually took over and Messier left and, and all that. But my point is that there's a lot of things to do in this city. A lot of them are outdoors, whatever the case may be. It, it, it doesn't have the population like Toronto. Um, it, can, it can be uh, fickle. And yeah, no, no question about it. Um, you know, the, 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 that place could get could get very empty very soon if things don't change. It, it, yeah. History has shown us that. Yeah, and I think that's something that I mean, when they get back, everyone's going to want to be at the arena, right? But you come out of yeah. there with a, even like a five nine and one record. You know, are people still going to want to be at the arena at that point? I think that's a real question that people need to ask for Canucks fans. Like, are you going to want to be there? After you already went to that first of the fifteen games, you saw them. You got to be in the in the arena again with other fans. But if if they yeah. really go out there and put a product like they had this year with being the worst team in the North Division, if there's something similar like that to the Pacific, I, I like I said, well, like kind of like what Dave said, it it could feel like a bloodbath next year at some point in the season. And, and, and it goes back quite a ways too. And look, how much the tickets cost? Yeah, you know, exactly. like yeah. like if there's something else to do, or you can watch them on TV. That'll do just fine. Not your bang on. Not, you'll you'll see more and more empty seats there. Um, no, no question about it. And you know things go in cycles. It's just that it seems that there's been a lot of down cycles for the Canucks <laughs> through the years. And I think you know, like I say, history has shown that this this city will 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 relatively speaking, they'll always be around. Mm. They're relatively speaking, but they'll turn off hockey for a for a time until they see some some real real promise. Now, okay, so obviously Aquilini and the the ownership group wants to come back with Jim Benning. That's what they're going to do. They've made that clear. But how much do you think they're scared of that apathy toward the organization from fans that like they would then make a move maybe next year? But how much do you think just fans not caring anymore would affect uh, ownership's business there? I, I don't know. You know, I honestly question the read that this ownership group has on the has on the fan base. And I, I don't know if they realize that apathy to me is worse than hate because at least with hate, you've got some emotion there. Yeah. And I feel that kind of seeping, seeping in. And let me get back to what I said about the, about the, um, about the organization. Like I, I think what, that when Jim Benning took over and maybe the worst thing that could have happened was them to have that hundred plus point season in 2014, 2015, but I really think that around that point, maybe slightly after this market was ready for a rebuild. And remember, they didn't want anybody to say rebuild. And then it became a small R rebuild. People wanted a rebuild. Yeah. I think they wanted because we in this, in this market have seen, you know, Carolina and Anaheim and Pittsburgh and, and Tampa Bay win Stanley Cups. And you see what Detroit's doing now. They're rebuilding that proud franchise. That's the way to go. It's the, it's, it's the way you win. 
so I think this market was ready for it, and I, their their read of the market. I just don't know how how good it is, and I hope they realize that there's a possibility apathy is going to set in, and that's the worst thing of all. That's what happened in the messy era. That's what happened in the, in, in the mid '80s. It's awful, and I, I hope they realize that. And that's the thing; like they have the type of players that make you want to go watch the games. Like they have yeah. Patterson, they have Hughes. I mean, Huglander, yeah. what he's done this year. I, I kind of yeah. want to get your opinion on on a guy like Elias Patterson, who you know missed a lot of the season this past year. But what type of player do you think he becomes when he hits his top potential in this league? Like, where do you kind of project him? Or like, is he around the league's best? Is he a top fifty score? Like, where do you kind of see him if he hits that top potential? I would think he would be somewhere in that second level. Mm. You know, behind behind. McDavid, uh, Crosby, etc. Somewhere in that second level where he's the Canucks' best forward, or arguably their best forward, but not quite at the uh, at the elite level. And, and and the asterisk to this is health. You know, he's had a few injuries now, and you could say the same same about Besser. Uh, Horvath's built differently, but uh, you know, so you, you wonder about him and his ability to stay healthy. But I would think when he's healthy, when he's at his best, when he's got the shot working on the power play. I think he's in that in, in that second level. He's just so smart uh, with the puck. And the other thing I love about Pedersen, and I really still have a big believer in going to games and watching the games as opposed to, you know, um, watching games on TV or even looking at analytics. When you watch Pedersen back check and, and contribute on defense, it really is, if you appreciate that sort of thing, a thing of beauty. So I, I, I love him from that point of view. I could see him, uh, I, I could see him being a, a Selkie Award finalist at the very least, uh, depending on how much success the team has one day down the road. So uh, I, I, you know, we all talk about his offensive game, but uh, his defensive game is pretty special too. So I, I think he, he, he has the definitely potential to be in that second, in that second tier of, of great players. And a little bit of the recent news, obviously, Vasily Podkolzin, want to talk about him. I mean, mm-hmm. he's a guy that I've woken up at 3 o'clock in the morning for a lot to watch his games. <laughs> I've seen 150 of his games plus over the past three years here. And, and you've talked to a lot of people about him. I know that you've, yeah. you've talked to Craig. We had him on the show last week as well. He's very high yeah. on him. I, I keep hearing a lot of people saying that he's got to start on the fourth line and work his way up, get the Bohorvat treatment. But like I said, I've seen this guy play a ton I think that he hops it right onto that Horvat line because I think he's a better fit than Niels Huglander is there. I think bumping Huglander down to a third line, letting him be more of a scorer because Pod Colson's ready for those type of matchups. What kind of read do you get, Donnie, going into training camp on where you think Travis Green is going to deploy the, the young Russian coming in here? Jeff Patterson said today on our show that he felt that uh, Travis, that, that Vasily Pod Colson is the type of player that Travis Green loves. Mm. Like, He's sturdy. He, a lot of people that we've had on, including Craig, I know it's a different position. Uh, you know, but Colson is a left-handed shot who plays the right wing. I can imagine he can play on the left side too. Yep. And he, but they compare him to Horvat. And I think a lot of that is body type and just that bull type mentality. And, and like Horvat, he has to work on his skating, which Horvat did remarkably at the, at the start of his career. So, so there, there's that. Um, and then I, I jumped to this, and maybe this is naive of me, but Hoglander was picked 40th in that draft, the 2019 draft, uh, but Colson was picked 10th. Now, I know that doesn't mean a whole lot in the case of a lot of Canuck draft choices, <laughs> but from everything we hear and, and the fact that he's got experience against men in the K, 
I, I could see him being in that in that top six very, very, very soon. And especially if Travis Green likes him and likes the way he plays. It seems like, and you know, Chris, sounds like you know a hell of a lot more about it than I do, but it seems like he's a, a guy, a, a kid, who doesn't make a lot of mistakes and contributes in a big way. And I think that's the kind of guy a coach is going to like and, and trust. So, uh, I, I, again, I, I'm speaking from the inexperience of not seeing him a whole lot, but I could, I, I could see Travis Green trusting him and him making a pretty pretty quick move up, up the ladder. Who would have thought Hoaglander would be uh, – yeah. Uh, top six play, they look out of place. No, and I think that's the thing that's interesting for me is you go back to last year, every scout has Pod Colson ahead of Huglander. Every single yeah. person who's watching these prospects like I am, they have Pod Colson higher than Huglander for a lot of things. And then Huglander comes in and shocks, and it's great. It, it's great. I mean, but to me, Pod Colson's still a better player right now. And it's not a slight against Huglander. He's he was incredible. But I think that we're gonna be yeah. shocked again going into next year. The the comparable that I use for Pod Colson is is like a Ryan Kessler on the wing, right? Like you, you know, yeah. Kessler early yeah. in his career had 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 decent speed, but you really saw him crank it up when he hit his mid twenties when he figured out how to have a good stride. And that's kind of the same yeah. way that I'm looking at it with Pod Colson. Like if if he comes in, he's going to do a lot of things that Canucks fans loved from Ryan Kessler. So it's where yeah. I kind of yeah, see yeah, well, that's good. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, uh, hey, Canucks fans will take that in a second. I don't know <laughs> if he's going to rack up points mm-hmm. from what I've seen. But if he's if he's Horvat ish or even Kessler, of course Kessler got forty one goals one year. But um, yeah, if if he's anywhere near the, those type of guys playing, I know a different position that all Canuck fans would would take that in a second. Yeah, I mean he's going to be a fan favorite right off the bat. Plus ninety two on the jersey, it's it's pretty easy to sell that. I'm pretty sure we're going to see a lot. No, of I like that. Yes. Yeah. No. So, no. Yeah. Uh, right, final final question I wanted to ask you, Donnie. I saw a video circulating last week of you doing a you know a, a, I guess an interview as a reporter with uh, mm-hmm. the Canucks car, I believe it was. And it was a, a right. fun story, and I think they drove away asking you for some yeah. gas money as well. When, when yeah. you were a reporter, what were some, yeah. of the, some of the more fun Canucks stories that you got to go out and do? I mean, that, that seems like you know, it's a very different time than now, and that's the type yeah. of thing that I love to see. <laughs> but I'm wondering, like, what were some of the ones where you went out and you're oh. like, what the hell am I doing yeah. here talking to this and doing this no, kind of Canucks story? Like being in, being in the dress room after Game 7 in, in 94, obviously, was... Uh, um, you know, um, memorable, um, mm. sad for the Canucks, obviously. Um, the, the, the one thing I remember about that, and I could, I could go on and on about, about, uh, you know, my memories of doing stories, but, um, the one thing I'll never forget about 94 and being in the dressing room is how Murray Craven and Dave Babich, uh, all the older players were crying and the younger mm-hmm. guys weren't. And I just think that says something about being human. You know, um, the older guys knew that and they were right. That was it. You know, that was their chance and they didn't get it done. Younger guys, not so much. They thought, okay, we'll be back. But guys like that knew mm. that that was their, uh, that was their shot. And it probably there's a good chance it wouldn't happen again. There's a lot of teams in the NHL. So uh, there was that. Uh, uh, the other thing that I'll never forget being a reporter is that back then it, you guys will get a kick out of this, is that you, you, we have players' numbers. <clears throat> and you could call them up and go to their house and interview them after they, after they were traded. Wow. Or there was a controversy. It was, it was very different times. Uh, so uh, the one story that uh, I won't forget regarding that is going over to Trevor Linden's house at Kitts Point. And this was when Trevor was heavily involved in the NHLPA. And um, 
uh, a lockout had happened or was about to end or whatever the case may be. <laughs> and uh, we talked to Trevor and we really didn't have any visuals that accompanied the story well. Um, like, well, obviously we had him playing, but that didn't really fit. So I, I asked Trevor to walk on the beach like by himself, kind of kicking a rock. <laughs> and he, he, he told me to F off and then he did it. And then I guess he, he went back to the dressing room, whatever, a week or two after he heard about it from the boys. He never let me, uh, I forget, he never let me forget about it. Another one we did was when the NHL changed division formats. And, um, you know, I, I can't remember exactly what era it was, but the NHL changes division formats. And, um, what, what a lot of people don't realize is that not every player follow. They play hockey, but they don't necessarily follow hockey. Right. None of the players could get the divisions right. They couldn't <laughs> figure out who was in what division. The only guy who nailed it, and I'm not kidding, was Gino Ogin. Oh, he wow. got every single quiz question right. He, he nailed it. And it was, uh, I'll just never forget that. Uh, Gino's way, way smarter than people might think. He's a really <laughs> smart cat. And he, he, he just—it was just—it was just brilliant. The fact that he was the guy and, uh, was just—I uh, I could go on and on. There's just a, a million great stories, and you know, uh, dealing with Pavel and his, you know, the group of friends that he had hanging around him all the time. That was that was that was really interesting. Um, it was—he uh, was such a mysterious guy and such a wonderful talent. Uh, the first night with Beret. Uh, back in November '91, mm-hmm. uh, that was special. Being in the dressing room after and seeing the players on the Canucks so excited about having this guy as a teammate, uh, that was really, really special. The, the, needless to say, the fans were as well. But uh, that was a real special, special night. Well, I could go on and on. Yeah, no, I mean uh, the book's going to be a lot of fun when it comes out, Donnie. Whenever that is, <laughs> I, I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> and uh, final thing, I'll ask you here before we close out. You guys had a little Burnaby Fest uh, before we started recording here, yourself <laughs> yeah, and Dave. Yeah. Well, oh, you... hold on a second. Yeah. Hold on, let, 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 let North Burnaby Fest. Uh, okay, yeah. North, North Burnaby. Burnaby. See, yeah. I don't. I still don't know. But what I do <laughs> yeah. know in in Burnaby, or maybe North Burnaby is a restaurant called Pasta Amore. Dave's a, a real Italian. That's his spot. It's too uh, new. Donnie, you know Anton's, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so Anton's, this this restaurant yeah. is one we bring up on the on the podcast a lot, Pasta Amore. I don't know if you've heard of that one because it's, it's like a newer one, but it's like I think the guy who owns it used to own Anton's or something like that. I don't okay, know. yeah. We always say no free ads, but Chris is about to bring up a restaurant uh, <laughs> that I don't think you oh. would have heard of, but yeah. No, I'll, 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 is it on the same block? No, it's actually just down Willingdon more. It's on Willingdon and Dawson. Well, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll check it out. Um, I'm a little concerned right now because there's another uh, restaurant in Burnaby that I went to, a, North Burnaby, that I went to a lot on East It's called La Valletta. It and just I noticed closed. They take, I, is that true? Yeah, Chris and that I drove by it today. Great. Yeah. <laughs> that, that place was great. And, and it, it, I noticed the sign is down. It, it looks like there's going to be a change there. And that's really, really sad. But that's a great corridor for restaurants. La Artista is also really good. Yep. And uh, needless to say, Anton's is, is, is something else. So, uh, yeah, that's, I, I hope that's not true. I hope it's just a refurbishment. But uh, um, uh, all, all the best to the people that are involved in that place. Because it, it, it is or was great. Well, Donnie, we do uh, these bonus episodes where we talk no hockey, and I feel like a Burnaby episode might have to be a good one. I feel like we might have to get you back on just for that. (laughs) Yeah, 
Sure. Okay, I can go on about it. Hey, no problem. I, I've noticed. Yeah. I'm just sitting here like a deer in the headlights. I got no idea what you guys are saying. Half the words I don't even understand. I'm getting corrected hey, for North Burnaby. My, my wife gets so tired of me. If I run into somebody from Earth, Burnaby, she just leaves. It's, it's, it's gone. It's, it's over. Yeah. Right maybe you know, maybe we'll have her on and me and her can have yeah. a good chat. Go for it. Right on, Johnny. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you taking some time and uh, doing this here with us on the Canucks Conversation. And, and just, you know, we're both recording Don, Donnie and Dolly every day. It's the first yeah. thing we watch when our work day is done. So, you know, congrats to you guys on all the success. I mean, it's it's so much fun every, every time we watch the show. So thanks a lot for doing this and all the best uh, moving forward here. And, and keep Rick in line. I'm surprised he hasn't swore on yeah. here yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, don't worry. That's coming. And all the best <laughs> to you guys in your careers, the podcast, everything. Thanks so much. Zephyr Epic is Canada's source for trading card games and sports cards. They ship free anywhere in Canada on orders over $50. And you can use promo code Hockey Season with a capital H and a capital S, all one word, Hockey Season, to get $5 off your order exclusively for Canucks Conversation podcast listeners. Be sure to join them live on Twitch for epic case break openings. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Zephyr Epic, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic, on all platforms. All right, folks, here to talk about Parallel 4.9 Beer, and it is some exciting news with the most recent news from Premier Horgan and Dr. Bonnie Henry. Indoor dining is back, so folks, come one, come all, down to the East Van location at Parallel 4.9. Their beer garden is now open. Big setup, lots of tables, and even some outdoor dining. But at the same time, the indoor dining is open as well. If it's a little bit cloudy or maybe some rain's coming down, indoor dining is now back as well at Parallel 49. Be sure to head down to their location in East Van on Triumph Street. That's 1950 Triumph Street. Go down and try some of those beautiful beers and get out there and get the Peach Bot. I gave a review on the show. It is a crisp beer. Get after it. Peach-flavored beer. A little bit of carbonation. Nice little mix-up for you. They are now open from 11 a.m. to 10 p.m., seven days a week out there on the beer gardens and also with their indoor dining. That's right, indoor dining. It's back, folks. And be sure to tag us and Parallel as well. If you're down there drinking a beer, we'll definitely uh, be stoked to see it. And I'm curious to see what beer you chose. So be sure to tag us, uh, tag them, and be go, go out there and try some Parallel 4.9 beer. The pandemic and a slow economy are making it tough on a lot of people to find steady, good-paying work. But one industry is bucking that trend. Construction companies are hiring and need more workers than ever before. Upload your resume to icba.ca and get noticed. With more than 3,000 employers on our ICBA team, our employment network can connect you to businesses crewing up for the 2021 construction season. Trades jobs that pay well, offer excellent benefits, invest in safety training, and give a firm career foundation. Check out icba.ca slash jobs. And a massive thank you once again to Don Taylor of Donnie and Dolly, and of course, all of our sponsors here at the Canucks Conversation Podcast. Extremely fun conversation with uh, with Donnie, and oh. I think we're gonna have we're gonna have a Patreon episode coming out. I think Donnie Donnie tentatively agreed to it. Uh, Did I say that on air or off air? I think we said it off air. I'd have to go back and listen because yeah. we talked a lot off air there. He was he was so much fun to Just talk to, treat. and but yeah, I think. The- just the North Burnaby the episode, yeah. A North Burnaby all talk here. It'll be a tell yeah. all of North Burnaby, and that uh, that'll be a fun episode for sure. But yeah, what man? 
What a, a legend. What a like, treat. Absolute legend to have on the show. It's. I hope people enjoyed the conversation as much as you and I did. I mean, we... Oh, we were, we were belly cracking. laughing for multiple multiple yeah. points. You can probably hear it in there. We try and move our mics away, but it's loud. <laughs> Will we laugh to, like that? To do it in our in the studio here now and be able to do that conversation oh, yeah. here, you and I just you know looking at each other and having some fun there, that was... Yeah, what a, what an interview and, uh, and an awesome chat with him. So we found out during the show, during the interview with Donnie, yeah. that uh, the Canucks will be picking ninth. I think I'm happy with that. You know, I, I would have been ecstatic if they would have gone to one and two, but I knew that wasn't happening. I expected to go to 10, yep. but I like nine. I like nine. I think that this, this tier goes, to me, there's three or four guys in that first tier, but the second tier to me goes to about 12. I think that you're getting one of the best second-tier guys here, and it's going to be interesting to see where they want to go for this Canucks team. Do they want to reach? Is it a reach to go with Fabian Lucell, who joined us on this show? He's going – I mean, he's – he's. I'm not saying he's going to be the Pedersen, but he's got that vibe of like – Underdog, undersized He, he could a go fifth overall to somebody and surprise a lot of people. Yep. Right? Like that's the type that I wonder, and I wonder people have seen him. You know, the player that's, to me – the perfect. I'll let you go first. Who's who's your guy that well, realistically could be there at nine that you like the most? Another guest of the show, Kent Johnson. Again, I've talked about this guy. I watched him play in the BCHL with the Trail Smoke Eaters, Ray Ferraro's favorite BCHL team. I think he's from Trail. Um, yeah, like, dude, the guy's got the whole package, right? He just, I mean, he was dominant at the BCHL level, and he reminds me a lot in terms of not only dominating the BCHL, but you know, now moving to the NCAA and just where he, he was drafted and kind of his skill set. Alex Newhook. I really see a lot of similarities between him and Newhook. It's and very, it's very, it's a good comparable from yeah. what I've heard. And so I, again, at ninth, depends who else is there. Like it's hard to throw out names, but man, if Kent Johnson's there at nine, you take a good long look at him. The hometown kid, man, guest of the show. Yeah. No, I, I mean, seemed like a good kid when we talked to him here. And I think that he's one that's up there for me. Um, but I do have two guys that I can realistically see there, see being there that are higher than him on my list. Fabian Lucelle's one. Uh, I just I really like that there's a high end talent to this mm-hmm. kid. I like about his game was watching some of the things he did at the U18s where he could start offense from behind his own net. Like he is that type of skilled player who can just go down from end to end to create offense. He doesn't need to be a passenger on a line. He can create offense his own ways in a lot of different situations. But to me, my favorite, and Cam Robinson has sold me on him, and now I've been watching tape of him, is Mason McTavish. I mean, this this kid looks like a 3C. This kid looks like a middle six center. I mean, he looks like he could really fit with what the Canucks are trying to do here. And I don't think he's far away from playing in the NHL. I don't think he hops in this year, but I think he confidently comes in in the next season as a guy who can slot right into that third line and play with a Niels Huglander, you know, play with another winger that kind of sticks out. If Colin's able to take a step, then you're talking about a third line that can score. You're talking about a top, a top nine at that point where you're going to have Niels Huglander on his ELC. You're going to have pod Colson on his ELC. You're going to have McTavish on his ELC three players like that fitting into your top nine, making a difference. Like we've said a lot on the show, the Canucks are going to have to eat it this year, Right. Then there's a lot of money coming off the books for what they're going to be able to do in the 2022-23 season. That's what I'm looking forward to. And I think adding a guy like McTavish, who isn't far away from being an NHL player and has so many good traits of just being able to be a two-way player 
and bring a little bit of offense, right? Like have a little bit of offense. I like where this kid is, but at the same time, you know, there's a lot of questions going into this draft about the defenseman at the top of it. You know, the Owen Power, the the Luke Hughes, the, I mean, like Brant Clark, a lot of people are saying might drop. Like, no, he's if like one of these nine. guys drops. Well, I was going to say, does Luke Hughes get past New Jersey? Because I don't think he does. I don't know. But I think, I think it, where's New Jersey drafting? What's their actual draft position? Yeah, I'm going to look this up I'll because I was going to say, look, I've I've talked to a lot of people about the draft and you know the what the what the actual it, you know what it's going to look like. And at fourth overall for New Jersey, I don't think Luke Hughes is the right pick. I think I think they're reaching at that point. I think you're taking a guy because you have his brother. I think if the Canucks draft Luke Hughes at nine. That's a little different. But man, like think about the names, right? Like Matt Beniers, Owen Power, Brant Clark, all at the top of that draft. And you're going to go down and take Luke Hughes right. at four? I don't know, man. I, I just, I don't think it's a good pick for New Jersey. I think what I've heard from talking to people and hearing other people a lot smarter than me is the injury to Hughes is worrisome. I've heard that from multiple different people that I've really trust about these prospects is Luke Hughes was a top five talent. This injury puts a lot of that into question. And, you know, if Luke Hughes was a right-handed shot, I think we're talking about him being a yep. top-five guy yep. for sure. But it wouldn't shock me at all to see him be there at nine, which is something that you talk about this six months ago, eight months ago. That would have shocked a lot of people. If the Canucks were able to not win the draft lottery but still get Luke Hughes, it's going to be interesting for them not to take him if he's there at nine. Like, you're going to make Quinn very happy with that. You know, Luke's going to be a guy who, you know, we saw him at the 2019 – or sorry, 2018 draft – He's already wearing, he looks good in Canucks colors already. I was going to say, I was going to say, you know, for New Jersey or Vancouver, the other thing that you're doing here is you're making it very enticing for the third brother, whoever it is, whether it's Quinn or Jack, to come to your team. Like, I'm just saying, if the Canucks go out and they take Luke Hughes at nine, Jack at at some point is going to want to play with his brothers, right? Like, that'd be so cool for all three of those guys to play together, but... Like, like you're, you're kind of, you have that leverage then, right? Cause the player will likely want to come here. But again, what if they all want to go somewhere else? Right? Yeah. Like that's the other caveat with all that. Yeah. I mean, that's very possible as well. And that's, it's going to be such an interesting conversation to see if Luke Hughes is there at nine, if Mason McTavish is there at nine, if Kent Johnson is there at nine, because it's like you have a good fit with McTavish as a center. You have a good local kid in Kent Johnson who could project as a center. A lot of people see him as a winger. And then you have the brother. Like there's three very interesting roads you can go down to make not really the fan base happy, but make parts of your organization happy. Yeah. Right. I think, I think part of the organization, I think part of the fan base would be happy to go with Ken Johnson. I think they'd be like, wow, you know, we've got a local kid here, grew up BCHL guy, you know, interesting spot. Obviously Lucelle's interesting as a Swedish guy. A lot of, you know, a lot of Swedes have had a lot of success in Vancouver. I don't have to, it's not breaking news to tell you that. And then, yeah, like Luke Hughes, another option as well. I think, I think someone is going to fall in this draft and you mentioned it, like it can't be Brant Clark, but what if it is like, what if it is, what if he's there and, and Luke Hughes is there at the same time? Well, you absolutely take Brant Clark. You have no to, question. I think too. Not only is he a right-handed defenseman, he's, he's ahead of Luke by a lot. But to me, if Luke is there at nine, if Luke falls to nine, but what if, Br- okay, well, this is stupid because Brant Clark's not going to fall to nine. There's okay. no way. Okay. But, but 
I'm not going to say it's stupid completely because no one thought Quinn Hughes was going to drop to seven. Good point. No one thought point. that. But then Barrett Hayton gets drafted by Arizona, who, by the way, doesn't have a pick in the first round, which is hilarious in its own right. I just saw a tweet, too, from Cam Robinson. He's got Mason McTavish at number two. Wow. I know that Cam's very high on him. I know that he said that on this show yeah. two weeks ago. Yeah. But he's got him at number two. Holy I mean, if smokes. that guy is there at nine and Cam's this high, I'm gonna, I trust Cam more than... Me? Honestly, <laughs> wait, well, way more than you. But like more than anybody who covers prospects, I think Cam has a proven track record of doing that, of I'm, having success with how he projects pre- picks. I'm going to start my goaltending research soon. I'm going to find the late round pick that Ian Clark is going to be super high on. I'm going to figure that out all by myself like I do every year. Last year it was Joel Blomquist. I, yeah. was, I, was, I was pumping Joel Blomquist tires on this show for weeks, and then Drantz came out a few weeks later and reported that that was the goalie that Ian Clark was super high on that the Canucks wanted to draft. It, draft. So I, I'm going to start Insider. my research. I'm going to start finding out who who that goalie is this year. And by the way, the way I'm finding this out is just by watching these goaltenders and knowing what kind of goalies Ian likes, and then I just guess, and we'll see if I'm right again this year. I'm one for one. One for one. Sounds good. I've seen, uh, seen some job openings in Canucks Entertainment on my LinkedIn today. Really? I wonder if one of them's for a goalie coach assistant. Do you have to could be you, able to you, skate well? Because I'm no video guy, you know. Video, yeah, maybe video. Have you seen I Ryan just, Beach play in a charity game? He can't skate. <laughs> <laughs> wow! <laughs> just takes a shot at Beecher on the show. Sorry, oh, I saw him. I incredible. saw him at the uh, Canucks Autism Network game. Yeah, we saw him at the Botford Project night too. I yeah. accidentally big timed. Well, I've seen him skate there at the Canucks. Autism yes, night. yes, I accidentally big timed him on the Botford Project night. <laughs> incredible. Yeah, I, take I felt, his take his job from Canucks Army. Very yeah, take his job. Yeah, Not I'm really. sure he he's really upset about <laughs> yeah. that. All right. Well, um, one of the things I wanted to you know, as we're talking about that actually with Ian Clark. Sorry, by the way, I've taken over hosting. Um, I just <laughs> can't good. help it. Um, with Ian Clark now, you know, it's been a few days since we've recorded. More positive feeling for you? Negative? Neutral? Uh, I'm not sure. I think, like I said, and you know, people listen to the Woodley episode. If you haven't yet, go back and listen. Really good chat with Woodley. Um, it was trending in the right direction. Uh, my understanding is the deal still isn't done, but we also talked about how things happen behind the scenes and maybe uh, this deal does get done but not announced because they don't want to make it a huge deal and they kind of announce it with, you know, the way this will be announced, Chris, my guess is it's going to be a news article on Canucks.com that's retweeted by the Twitter account that just says Canucks re-sign coaches and it won't say the terms and conditions of Ian's deal. Now, if you're listening to the show, you will know that it, it is heavily reported that the organization gave him the five years he was looking for to run along with Thatcher Demko, and that was the deal that was close to being done, and the, the, the term was five years on that. That's what we know, and that's what we think. But it's still not done, is my understanding, and you never know. Like Maybe it is done, and we just haven't heard anything, but the, the thing is, is even when it's done... I don't think we're going to hear about it publicly. Like, I think that's going to have to come from insiders. And look, like the fact of the matter is, is we've seen executives, we've seen coaches, we've seen different people in different areas of the organization that talk to the media. Uh, Ian is not one of those people. There, sure. There's a reason that there hasn't been a ton of concrete reporting on the Ian Clark situation. And it's because Ian really doesn't talk to a lot of people about his situation. Yeah, I you know, now that you mentioned it, I think that that is how we will see it. Yeah. And I think something that I heard uh, on 650 earlier this week was Elliot Freeman talking yes. about, you know, 
Travis Green looking for some outside support to his coaching staff. Yeah. And to me, I'm wondering, like, do you think that there is going to be a change? I don't think Nolan Baumgartner's gone. That's that's Travis's guy. But is it Newell Brown? Is I, he back? Is look, there someone else who can help run as an assistant coach and take your power play? There's guys out there that that's a great job to have as an assistant coach. Look, there's there's always a scapegoat after a season like this. I think there should be. Yeah, there, well, I'm just saying in, in Canucks history mm. with this ownership group, there always is. And it's not Jim and it's not Travis. So who is it? Is it Newell Brown? Because w- the look, the fact of the matter is when you have power play personnel like the Canucks have and your power play is as crappy as the Canucks was, like questions got to get asked, man. But two years ago with Pedersen in the lineup, they're fourth in the NHL. Yeah, and then what happened? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, Pedersen's out of the lineup. He has he has an excuse. You I, know, the Canucks have an excuse as a right. whole with COVID. You lose your best power play scorer. Y- yeah, there are enough. excuses for Newell Brown. That's why I'm wondering, like, is it explored enough? Because look, a lot of people bash the drop pass, and yes, the drop pass that the Canucks do is not good. Yeah, drop every pass that, team uses it, right? Yeah, like the drop that's pass the thing. that the Avalanche do, that's good. Yeah. The drop pass that the Lightning do, that's good. Exactly. Watch how they attack with it. Yeah, it's different. But that's the thing with me. It's like that comes from the power play coach that he's not yeah. that the drop pass for the Canucks is forced. Like watch these teams in the playoff how they ex- how they enter the zone on the power play. The drop pass is an option. It's not your number one thing to do. Yeah, nobody's holding it's your gunpoint to you do it. You give your best player some ice, some room to skate. If he can gain his own, perfect. If, te- if teams double team him on the way in, you drop it off to your next best skater who now just has space because your first best skater just took a double team. Yeah. And now this guy has a drop pass where he just picks out the puck and gains his own. The Canucks, it's like... You skate up, you drop it, and slow then down, that slow guy down, gets it. make sure that you can make the drop pass. Right. Like, the, like you know what I mean? There's time and place just, for it, but it, exactly. it's, it's, it needs, I think that's the thing that I'd love to see a change. And I do think that a change has to happen. You don't finish last in the North and yeah. not make a change. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with you. But I, I do agree with you where I think that the two big announcements that we're going to hear over the next couple months is what coaches are back and what coaches are extended. And, the Sedins. Those will be two different announcements to me. I don't see that being bundled into one. And the Seth Jones trade. And this, yeah. We're going to get into that next week. We're we going to hate it when Rathbone guess, gets but, swapped for Jones, man. Oh, my gosh. I know you're not, a big Rathbone truther. It's the, it's the Canucks the Canucks combo curse. Adam Gaudet plays Warzone with us, gets traded. Jack Rathbone comes on the show a couple times. Plays Warzone with us. Plays Warzone with us, gets <laughs> traded. Everyone who plays Warzone with us gets traded. <laughs> oh, jeez. Awful. That's Awful. not good. That's Maybe not we good. should play Warzone with Louie. Yeah, there you go. What kind of player do you think he is? Well, we you Louis know he's a sniper. He gave up on Warzone too. We, you and oh, me are I don't. I don't want to talk about Warzone on this show, no, man. We're done. We're, um, but Louis is a sniper for sure. Final thing, um, you know, I I don't think it's news. We knew it was happening. It's coming. I already went on my rant a week ago. But the silly pod calls and signs. Um, some interesting things. I think um, we should expect to have a media availability with him very soon. Um, his. He's going to be available, I believe, in the next, I'm guessing, 10 days. Because the World Championships will be over on the 7th. That's when we heard they were done. Sorry, over on the 6th, I believe. Um, and then that's where we're going to go from there to be able to talk to him for the first time. What I've heard is the English is improving. But I'm going to guess we'll have a translator for yep, this yep. for this media Especially availability. Still. Zoom, so easy. Yeah, I, I think we will have a translator for here. But I... You know, I've, I've been a person who's posted around the interview they did in English a lot uh, in January. He's been practicing on it ever since, speaking a lot more English. I'm excited, man. I, I'm excited the deal got done. I'm, I've said it for a long time. I said it in the Don Taylor interview as well. I 
I think he's a better fit on Horvat's line than Nils Huglander is. I think that he's going to be in a top six role. And I want the battle at training camp to be between Vasily Podkolzin and Tanner Pearson. I don't want it to be between Nils Huglander and Vasily Podkolzin, but that's what I'm probably going to get. I'm going to get Tanner Pearson in the top six. I, I mean, maybe for the first week or two yep. of, I mean, of it's training interesting. camp. But to me, know. like even any guy goes down in the top six, it's not Tyler Mott getting pushed into that spot no, again. No, it's depth now. They have actual depth. He's the guy who's going to be in your top six. Vasily Podkolzin's going to play in the top six yeah, a lot he this is. year. Yes, he yep. he might not start there, but he's got to be the first option of every player on this roster to go up there. It's not Tyler Mott anymore. Like people are like, oh, I'll play Tyler Mott in the top six. I like him there. You know, he's fine when injuries happen. Not anymore. It's Pod Colson now. If he starts on the third or fourth line or anything, he's got to be the first winger that goes up. Yeah, absolutely. Be. So you know, that's an exciting thing. Uh, exciting episode through and through. Absolutely. I'll give it back to you to close out here. Oh, I get I'm to close out. I get to host <laughs> You're again. You're technically hosting. Wow, that's exciting. Well, uh, thanks again to Don Taylor for joining the show. Extremely fun episode. Rate and review the show. Go check out the Patreon. Five and ten dollars here gets you all the bonus content. Hero tier packages were just handed out. A lot of fun with those uh, we had today. So thank you so much for listening. My name is Dave Gudrelli, and for Chris Faber, this has been the Canucks Conversation. How about keep it to a thank you, Jim? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 